Absolutely. Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars now for about a year and a half, and this is number 227. Um, we do have guests lined up going forward uh, in through August. And, you know, every time I turn around, I find another topic to talk about because something happens or somebody tells me something. So if you have a topic you would like me to have as a, an, or a guest, um, please let me know. Just pop me an email at wendy at wendymurdoch.com or you can go to the website Murdoch Method and just put it in the, there's a contact form. Um, if you sign up for our newsletter, uh, you'll get an email every Sunday with the guests coming in the next week and that's at murdochmethod.com. Today, my guest is Daniel Santos and I met Daniela, uh, oh, when did we meet? I'm trying to remember now, 10 years ago? Long time ago. Uh, yeah. at, at a pony club chant, uh, pony club meeting. That's right. In That's Portland, right. Oregon. Yeah. Um, and so we've stayed in touch and, and, uh, she's come done some surefoot stuff with me, which has been really fun with her horses. Maybe she'll mention that while we talk. Um, but she, uh, and some lessons. Yes. And some lessons. True. Um, and she is here today, today to talk to us about helmets and helmet safety and why it's so important to protect this thing on the top of your neck. So welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks for having me. This is exciting for me because, of course, I've always believed in what you're doing with Surefoot. And, and having had you as an instructor, I also believe in how you do with the Murdoch Method. I think it's fantastic. Thank you so much. So, Danielle, just give us your background. Like, I... I, I don't even know how long you, you've been involved with horses all your life or what's your story? So I've always been a horse lover slash rider. Um, but after working downtown DC for uh, uh, several years, I was um, able to get a lucky break and start working at a tax store. Um, we were in transition, um, my spouse and I, and it was a great time and I started doing buying and then I haven't left since. Um, the, the husband is now an ex-husband um, and I have, you know, traveled and done different things and had, you know, a wonderful person by my side since. But, um, you know, it's been now, I think, 23 years that I've been in equestrian retail and I love it. So wow. that's, yeah. that's really impressive. So, so you worked for a tax shop and then you started, uh, is it, was it then that you went to Charles Owens? I did. I went to Charles Owen in 2010 and they recruited me be, to do some marketing for them. And it was just a, a normal situation where I, I kind of evolved into taking on the global marketing. And I did that until the end of 2019 when I took on the U.S. sales. Um, so I now am the VP of U the U.S. and Can Canadian sales. Wow. Okay. So um, that's, I mean, I, I, I have a Charles Owens helmet and this is not about promoting a particular product, but it's really about why wearing helmets, regardless of the brand at this point, why wearing a helmet is so important. So I would think that with all of your marketing expertise and your experience in the, in the tax shops and everything, that, that there's been a lot of development, improvement, research, and information coming forward about head injuries that's really important for us to understand as equestrians. There definitely is. And, you know, we always say that the most important thing, the most important part of being safe is making sure your helmet fits. So your helmet, and, and this is kind of the precursor to everything we do, your helmet can have all the bells and whistles and all the safety standards and, and have the most innovative safety mechanisms installed in it. And if it doesn't fit, it won't stay in place or it won't stay on. And that doesn't do you any good. So the first and paramount thing is to get a helmet to fit right. And, and you know that that makes me think of some pretty horrific stories that I can remember where you know a child was wearing a helmet but it snapped back and broke her neck because obviously it didn't fit properly. So like any piece of equipment, fit is super important for it to do its job. Whether that's a saddle, whether that's your boots, whether that's a bridle, whether that's your helmet. So tell us about proper helmet fit. 
So um, there, are kind of, there are a few steps to helmet fit. And the best thing is to go to a, a retailer. A brick and mortar retailer is always best to be fitted in person. But if you're in a location where you're not able to go to a store or, you know, after COVID, now we kind of almost have to say, or if your store is not open, you know, for you to come in and have a fitting, you know, there are places on the internet that you can get some information. I do have um, a, a couple of handouts that I can, I can pass along. But basically, you know, you want to be able to have your helmet, your head measured with centimeters. And so we use a measuring tape on centimeters and we measure around the head, the circumference of the head, about a finger's width, about three quarters of an inch above the eyebrow, around the top of the ear and down over the occipital bone. And so basically that's where the helmet band liner on the interior of your helmet is going to sit. That gives you the best measurement. And most people are somewhere, the most average measurements are 56 or 57 centimeters, which translates to six and seven eighths is a 56 and 57 is a size seven. That kind of keeps you, if you can remember that a 57 is a seven, you can generally kind of extrapolate from there where your size is. And so that gives you the kind of the precision size that you need to have. And that will help when you go to, to have your helmet. If you go into a store and you do not get a measuring tape on your head, um, you can ask for it, you know, because especially with our brand and I'm fairly certain with every other brand, they're putting this measuring tape on your head to find your right head shape, head measurements. And then we go to head shapes which gets right. a lot more complicated. Yeah, so let's talk about measurement for a second. Um, you know, I, I'm just thinking of all the people that buy a helmet off the internet, um, mm -hmm. never measure their head, um, and, and don't think about that level of fit. Mm -hmm. I mean, just right out of the door, right? Um, and, you know, there's a lot of other sports that wear helmets, uh, lacrosse, football, baseball, um, uh, and do they measure their head sport? Yeah, well, they, I believe that they do, but I would wonder if you go into a regular sports shop to buy a helmet for your child who may be taking up um, snowboarding, whether mm -hmm. they would. I think if you go to a more a store that's more specific in their expertise, you probably would get a measurement, but I can't say that for certain. I don't do any other sports, but horses. Yeah, no, I get it. But I'm just wondering, you know, just in general, how important me just measuring somebody's head to make sure that the helmet they're being fit with is going to fit, regardless of whatever sport they're doing. There's a lot of sports where you wear helmets now, right? Um, right. For good reason, um, you know, you add speed and wheels or something like that, um, or motors, um, and you increase the level of uh, force that you're going to hit the ground with. Right the ground. Um, and so a well-fitting helmet, because I'm just thinking of, you know, how many parents out there have never been educated to proper helmet fit for their activity for their children. Exactly. You know, and um, so this is kind of fascinating to me to, to even um, uh, hear about that. And also you just said like a six and a seven, six and seven eighths and seven are, they are the most common Yes, in the U.S., that's the most common sizes that we find. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, although Brad, he's got a big head. I'm sure that's not. <laughs> <laughs> and in some areas, you know, it, it's slightly different. It might be a seven and a seven and an eighth. Yeah. But generally, those three sizes, specifically those two in the U.S. overall are the top sizes. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So, so now let's talk about shape, because this is a uh, an issue that I've had many times with a helmet. Mm -hmm. So what are the standard shapes? So every helmet brand has kind of the, their, the perception of how their helmets fit. And generally that comes to the fit model. So as we know in clothing, where your, your clothes are designed or made kind of give you an indication as to what they're gonna fit like. So our, we're a British brand. And our initial head shape that we were, we've been doing hats and helmets since 1911, starting with military helmets, going into motorcycle helmets, 
Um, yeah, we were the first full face guard in the UK um, way back. And then we transitioned to riding helmets and velvet hats when we start, when one, someone in the family started taking up riding and she, she's no longer riding. She, she's actually Roy Burek's sister. Oh. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting for her, you know, when she took up riding her father, who was managing the company at the time, um, decided to make her and her friends proper velvet hats with a little bit more safety in them. So Charles Owen was actually Roy Burek's um, grandfather. And now Roy Burek's son is take, has taken over the company, Owen, and is, is managing everything for us, which is fantastic. But essentially being British has made our head shapes. Our fit model is a Caucasian head. So we have a tendency to have more, what we generally call long oval helmets. And then we have added in a whole new line of round helmets because of course, with the incidence of um, SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome in the nineties, we started to see more kids born after 92. I think the, the ruling or the suggestion by the medical associations came in in 94. So certainly after 1994, we were putting all of our babies on their backs, which then had a tendency to shape their skull. They have less pronounced occipital bones and they now have rounder heads than they had before. So prior to that, we all had longer oval head, head shapes because we laid on our stomach and then on our, the side of our head. Oh, wow. Yes. That, that is so fascinating. Yes. Wow. So, um, uh, and obviously you fit helmets on other, um, uh, ethnic groups, right. And do you right. see different head shapes there? Like, because Asia is becoming a very big riding population, yes. right? Yes. And, um, which is fantastic for a lot of our brands because some of the brands that you see in stores are actually developed in Asia. So there's, there's the ability. And I think that, I think that that's the wonderful thing is, and it's the same thing in clothes. We could fit everybody because we have different fit models depending on where your, where your brand comes from. So, whereas we have to work a little harder to fit rounder shapes, uh, a company that was, there's a very popular company that is based in Korea. They make rounder head shapes naturally. So, you know, they would have to make a long oval to make it work, you know? So I think that that's the beauty of it. Cause we don't all have the same head shape. And I don't know if you know this, but I, I, I have seen one of those old fashioned head um, measurement tools. Oh yeah. They're, they're so cool. <laughs> they're very cool. But I've also been told in the past that head, there was some sort of measurement of a head that gave you an ID of a person. From oh, that's, there, uh, I think it's called phrenology. I don't quote yeah. it, but the study of someone's head shape would tell you about his intelligence and all this kind of stuff. It was, it's old stuff, but I've seen one of those um, head fitting, in fact, because I have two Western hats and, right. and I got there from Montana. And um, so I was at a show or something and I think they had it there. It was really interesting. It looks like a whole bunch of uh, pins that you yes. head and then it measures. Like a, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there's one, there's one, um, an antique here in one of our stores in Middleburg, Virginia. And, you know, who's been doing this for years and years and years and they have one and it's, it's very cool. It's very, very cool. Yeah. It's so, kind of like if you've ever seen those pin, the silver pin things that you put your hand on and stuff, it's kind of that idea, right? Yeah. It takes yeah. the shape. So that's really cool. So, so then, um, like I'm an oval and I, you know, I'm thinking about my helmets throughout my equestrian career. And I started out with the, uh, you know, hard shell velvet helmet, no chin strap whatsoever. And then the adaptation of a chin strap, which went over it. Right. Mm -hmm. And right. then into a helmet that was still that same kind of just hard shell, but with a built in chin strap. And that was clear. Uh, no, it wasn't clear. I didn't have the clear one. I had the skin tone one, but right. then the clears came in and then there was, uh, uh, of course, the skull cap from the jockeys. 
you know, right. if you were eventing, you had that so you could put your, your cover on for your colors. Um, so there's even in, you know, my lifetime, there's been an enormous evolution of helmets. Now they're, right. you know, high tech with high tech materials and, you know, better fit. I mean, back then you, you know, you had like two shapes. Well, no, you had one shape, I guess, you know. Yes. Um, but because of the way that they were made, you know, a lot of hats in that type of, of um, um, production, they were either shellac cardboard. Oh, really? Which, yes, yes. The old fashioned patties, they were shellac cardboard. And so they would mold and shape to your head as your head heat up. And then of course, prior to that, in all the old jockey skulls, they used cork. Cork was, a, was an original sort of, you know, we talk about the EPS liner, which is kind of a, an expanded polystyrene, a styrofoam of sorts. And it was cork before that. And we did a lot of cork um, helmets. And that's what the jockeys wore under, inside their helmets and the motorcycle helmets as well. Wow. Yeah. But things have evolved a lot. We have a lot more right. high tech materials. So, um, and you know, there's, there's been an awful lot of emphasis about head injuries and that sort of thing in the pro football players. Right. Right. And so um, how has that affected what's happening or has the equestrian industry been on a, on a separate track looking at head injuries or, you know, ha what's happening there in terms of head injuries and knowledge so, information? And I think like everything else, the fact that, I mean, obviously the movie concussion and, and this, CTE uh, phenomenon has really heightened everybody's awareness to concussion. And at the same time, we have our kids who are having concussions, what appears to be a more of an incidence of concussions, or maybe we're just noticing it in their high school sports. Um, and then of course, girls soccer was, I don't know if it still is, but it was a few years ago, the, had the highest incidence of concussion of all high school sports because really? of the way, yeah, because um, girls don't have the same strength in their necks. So then they take the impact more in their head, whereas a boy would have the strength in their neck. You know, when you're talking about falling, you know, you always see these great action shots of girls soccer where, you know, they're being um, celebrated for being so strong and independent and yet they're hitting the ground in a way that they're having brain shear. Wow. So, yeah, so I think all of the sports have created this incredible awareness of the fact that our brain is our most important feature. It's what makes us, us. Yeah. And I think all of the sports are kind of running parallel and utilizing different information from each other. The NFL certainly has put their, in, you know, their money towards it for sure, doing the, um, the grants, which uh, Charles Owen was involved in and ended up that the, the group we were working with and Roy Bjork was um, uh, leading the team at Cardiff University ended up winning for a new sort of origami type uh, um, interior, protective interior different than EPS. But looking at sports, looking at the NFL, you know, there's the, the concussion situation is different. So whereas we as riders, when we fall off, we generally have a single impact, generally. You know, a lot of times you have a horse who could rear up, hit you in the front of the face, and then you fall and you hit the back of your head potentially on the side of an arena. <laughs> and that, that is a pretty catastrophic injury yeah. um, because you have two impacts. Yeah. Polo, for instance, Polo has multiple impacts, which is why they just adopted the NOXI standard as being a requirement. Because NOXI is a standard like we have, ASTM, and it gets certified by SEI. NOXI is for multi-impact. That's what the NFL uses. So, so what does NOXI stand for? Oh, sorry, you got me on that one. <laughs> um, I know, I actually don't know. I'll have to look that up and send it to you. Okay, great. But they're based in Tennessee and that's what they focus on is this multi-impact because in football, American football, 
these guys are having up to 50 subconcussive impacts per game. Subconcussive impacts become cumulative, which is how the CTE ends up happening because you could get knocked out or knocked down. We'll use that knocked down, hit in the head, and you might not feel it. You know, we always talk about, oh, it rang my bell or I saw stars, all these little um, sayings that we've used in the past. We may not feel it, but your head has had uh, a change, an impact to it. So what we end up having is this cumulative effect, which then changes how our brain is dealing. And while I'm not a neuroscientist and I'm not a brain surgeon in any way, we, we can now look at it as laymen and say, I, I don't want that. I don't want to have, um, I want to have as much protection as possible and still enjoy my sport. But we now have products that can do that. Whereas 10, even 10 years ago, yeah. we didn't have that like we do now. The innovations are extraordinary. We're using um, information from other sports. Our, um, our new polo helmet, which is a Noxy standard per the requirement, is from other sports. So we're, we're able to cross over a little bit more. Even though equestrianism, the, the falls, the impacts are slight, slightly different and sometimes more dangerous. So, okay, let's just kind of define some terms here. Uh, CTE stands for... Well, you got me on that one again. Um, I'm blanking on it. Um, um, Jeez, what you got me twice. I'm sorry. Um, if somebody out there wants to Google it real quick and let us know, we I say it all the time and I forget that I, you know, yeah, have to remember it's what it's called. Um, ASTM. So that's the Amer American Standards and Testing of Materials. Okay. So, so NOXI and ASTM are basically, uh, if you will, um, independent laboratory tested standards for safety for yes. helmets. And SEI, which is based in McLean, Virginia, is the, the body that independently tests for those two here in the US. Great, so basically helmets that are tested by S SEI, mm -hmm. okay, that are rated, that, that pass. Have yes. And it's only a pass fail, and that's kind of come under fire recently. And I think that that's a really important piece. This, this independent testing by SEI, we've always kind of um, celebrated that because it's independent. It's completely unbiased. You have to send your helmets in at your cost and they test them and then they give it a pass or fail. Okay. So you have some helmets who pass who are up here ah. and some helmets who just barely just pass. get through. So that's what, I don't know if you've heard about Virginia Tech and what the work that they're doing with their five-star rating. In other sports, they do a five-star rating. They have an incredible lab. Um, and that's, it's, I've, I've wanted to go and visit it, but they have um, testing where they start to rate, like kind of like consumer reports, yep. where they can say to, to us as a group, as a community, this helmet, this helmet brand in this helmet style is far surpassing this helmet in this helmet style. And they can give that rating kind of like what they do in Sweden with the Folksum insurance company who's done um, a report. And actually they just came out on Friday um, and I was called by a colleague in the UK. They just released the information that um, their 2021 report, their first one was in 2028, was released and they give ratings up to five. So five oh, yeah. is the best rating. And they take products that are generally, that are more popular in the air, in the country. And I think that that's a really important development, not just the innovations of our products, but also we have people who are wanting to test these differently and tell us what's better for us. So, so other helmets, not in the equestrian industry have had this five-star rating? 
Yes. I believe they have worked. Well, certainly they've worked with football. Mm -hmm. um, I have heard that they've done polo in the past, but now our polo helmets are different with the Noxie standard. They've done hockey. And oh, that's another sport with high head injury. Mm. Right, right. And I believe they've also done um, cycling. So, you know, th this is something that's, that's not new to them. Having the testing and getting the standard and testing to that standard is one thing, but getting the standard and then taking a whole cross section of products and running them all through the test and saying, this one barely passes, this one far exceeds the, the, the testing. I think that that's important because you might have a product that you're going back and forth with and you say, well, they both fit me, but which one do I want to do? Right. And making, having that information from a, a t another independent group right. is valuable. And the independence is, is really important because, you know, we all know that everybody who makes a product is going to think their product is the best. Mm -hmm. It may be the best, Right. But without the independent testing, right. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, I can think of so many things where people have said, this is a great product and it'll do this and this and this, but there's, you know, no testing behind it. So you can't evaluate. Um, all we can do is take supplements, for example. Right. Right. It's like being peer reviewed. You write a paper, you're a researcher, a PhD um, student, you do a report and it's, you know, valuable. It has valuable information, but until it's peer reviewed, you don't have anybody who's actually kind of proving what you've said. Right. And I think that that's really important. Yep. So, and, so we've seen a lot of innovations, like even in, like you say, in the past 10 years and the testing is coming up, which is going to help give us as a consumer, a better way to evaluate the helmet that we're looking at, not just by its fit, but also by its rating. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then um, it's also important to, to note that here in the US, we have the ASTM standard and I do have kind of a nice little wheel of information. Oh. Um, it's a little bit hard to um, understand without looking at it. So I, this is ASTM. Oh, okay. So you can see the icons are each tests. Right. So up here is the um, British standard. It has four different tests and I could go through what the tests are or I could send it off to you. So ASTM has two. Oh, wow. And there two is on a flat surface and on a, an edge surface. What the British do is they test for both of those in addition to crush and in addition to spike. So a spike would be um, generally a horse's stud. Ah. You know, so if you're eventing or um, show jumping and you wear studs, there are other horse sports that do wear studs. Um, you know, sometimes you may have an impact of a rock if you're out trail riding and you fall and you fall on a very sharp rock. So lots of different situations. The crush is if your horse falls on you. Yeah. So, so this is really interesting because again, I, I didn't understand what's the one down in the bottom right there that has so, even more icons. That's Snell. So Snell is historically a motorcycle helmet right. standard. And what we've adopted Snell in, in equestrian sports is for rotational falls and eventing. It oh. has a much higher, it has a thousand Newtons of crush protection. So if your horse falls on your head, your helmet that has cell will protect you more than something that is just an ASTM helmet. Okay, so just read to us what each icon means. So, that so we do you want me to hold it up as well? No, because it's it, we can't really see it, but if okay. you see what each one is. So, I so um, and I'll tell you which ones do it. So there's one test that does a flat surface test that's 1.8 meters above. And the ASTM, the VG1, which is a European standard, or sorry, a, a European specification, it's not harmonized yet, very long story, but 
VG1 is currently what Europe is using. Okay. And also the UK. And um, in the Snell, it's 1.9 meters. So that's generally a full-size horse where you would be okay, falling, so from. falling from a height. Ha falling from a height. Onto a flat surface. Onto a flat surface. Okay. Yep. So then the second one that ASTM has is the landing on an edge surface. So that would be your, again, a rock, the edge of an arena, you know, the, the railroad ties, a fence board, a jump, I mean, we can think of all these different things. You know, I've, I've had somebody fall and hit their head on the, the wheel well of their trailer. Oh, you know? yeah. So a lot of edge surfaces. So that's from a 1.3 meter height. Okay. So ASTM tests for that. The British standard tests for that. Again, at 1.3. And the European standard does not. Okay. And the Snell standard um, uses 1.3. Okay. The, so that's it for the ASTM tests, which is the- There are other part. icons on that chart. Yes. So the spike test that I spoke of earlier in, from the British is 75 centimeters. So that's 75 centimeters into your helmet. So we use- That's a lot, isn't it? It is a lot. I find, I think it's a lot, but 75 centimeters would probably be replicating the force at which it's being driven into your, so if you have a, a stud that's three quarters of an inch, mm -hmm. I would assume that that 75 centimeters is, is taking into account the force. Okay. Yeah. Not a scientist. Right. Just having information. How that works. But anyway, a spike yeah. impact. Spike like impact. A stud, like a nail, <laughs> like a small sharp object that's going to penetrate. Yes. That's going to penetrate into the shell of the helmet. So our shells are either um, fiberglass, which is kind of moldable or plastic, which is high impact plastic. We didn't have this kind of high impact plastic, I'd say five, eight years ago. The, the plastic we have now that comes, you know, we, it has such an incredible testing potential that it will, it, it can be tested to that 75 centimeters. Okay. But we're basically thinking more like a puncture wound. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so that 75 centimeters is also a test in the European, but it's 50 centimeters. Okay. So, so an inch less. Not as much force. Right. Okay. Um, and then of course, Snell has a hundred centimeters. <laughs> so Snell's kind of like the best of the best, right? But they're, so you, they're motorcycle helmets. I can, re, I remember that name from way yes. back when. Um, yes. And, and that, there are helmet, helmet brands who do carry Snell. So we have our four star and um, Champion has a, a Snell helmet. So you have a choice if you want Snell. And again, that's a standard, not a brand. Right. Okay. Right. And what else does Snell test for? There's so there's, there's another, there's the crush that the British do. So the, the British do four tests. Right. Or four, they have four icons. And that's 800 newtons of force in a crush test. In Europe, they have 630 newtons. So slightly less. Mm -hmm. And then in Snell, it's 1,000 newtons. And I'm not sure what a horse would be if he was galloping, but certainly if you have a horse galloping at speed, jumping a jump, the physics would tell me I would want a thousand if the horse is going to land on my head. Well, and you know, what we have to realize is this is always a catastrophic event. Mm -hmm. right? And, and that's the, the thing is that the helmet is not designed for the non-catastrophic event. It's designed yet. for the catastrophic event, for the time that the horse does a rotational fall or for the time that your horse hits the road, which happened to me and you know spills sideways and you smash your head on the asphalt or the right. time where the horse rolls over you, um, which has happened to me. <laughs> you know, oh, wow. It didn't roll over my head. He punched my femur through my hip socket. That was another thing. No protection down there from a helmet, but you know, that's what we have to realize is the helmet is not designed for just, or shouldn't be 
who are just looking pretty, it's designed for a catastrophic event. And when those occur, hopefully they're rare, right? right. And you want to survive. That's the intent. And you've just picked up on something that's really key to choosing a helmet. So what we have done in the past, I'd say 25 years very well, is design better helmets for that catastrophic event and give people options in fit, in look, in, um, in safety, you know, because you can choose a regular, um, uh, and I know mostly about our brand, so you can choose a regular Pro 2 Plus jockey skull to go eventing or to go galloping, you know, on, on the track. But if you are concerned about a rotational fall, you have the choice of, of stepping it up to the four-star helmet, which has all four standards, including the Snell, which will protect you if you are jumping a table out on the cross-country course and your horse has a misstep and lands on you. So what this does is it gives people more choice and more fit opportunities. So it's, it's overall the best situation we could have. And, you know, when, when you're looking at the three international standards, the U S the British and the, um, the Europeans, they have all tested to what is important at the time. ASTM is looking to update their standards. So they're, they're not necessarily currently wanting to just stay the status quo. They're wanting to look at it. And there are studies, I think the University of Kentucky has PhD students looking at it. So we are looking as an industry, as a safety industry at upping the ante. So I think that that's really important because the Snell then has a fifth test, which is a rounded edge. Oh, so like a, a half moon and they drop the helmet from 1.5 meters. So I think if you, if people can know this and, and say, okay, I want to have protection against the catastrophic, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, if you were at all in the situation where we were looking at requiring helmets for most of the disciplines in the US back in the mid 2000s, the, the conversation was, I don't want to be in a hospital and have my children or my siblings or my spouse have to take care of me Mm -hmm. because I've chosen to ride. So a lot of people chose to wear helmets for that very reason. Um, And now we've, we've kind of got that covered and we've got it covered with a wide array of types of helmets. But then for, for additional protection, you've got MIPS, which is multi-directional impact protection system, which is a liner that goes into the helmet and it's used in all, all kinds of sports at this point, which reduces the incidence of concussion. So, okay, multi-directional, <laughs> the acronyms in this industry are like, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, okay, great. Somebody put the chart up in the in the chat. Great. Thank um, you, Janelle. Um, so, say what MIPS is again. Multi-directional impact protection system. Okay, and this is in not just riding helmets, but it's in all it's kinds. in all sports. So you have it in skiing, you have it in snowboarding, you have it in motorcycles, you have it in cycling. You have it in, I'm missing one very important sport, but basically what it does is it works. So if you're going at speed, you know, we talk about lawn darting, you know, when you fall off your horse, but generally our impacts are at an angle, right? So kind of around 45 degrees to the, to the ground. And what it does is, so this is a MIPS helmet. I'm going to take out the liner. So it's the yellow. MIPS is always yellow. Okay. So it was developed in Sweden to minimize the the forces. So when you're walking, let's say you're walking on concrete and you you trip and you fall, your your head has a natural mechanism of protection. Our skin, our scalp, goes about five millimeters across our skull. 
So what that does is if you, you're walking along the concrete and you trip and you fall, chances are you're going to get kind of the road rash, yeah. the scrape. It's not like dropping a pencil with the eraser and it hits right on the eraser and all that impact is and force is in one particular place or the jelly side down on your piece of bread. So what you have is you have the ability to extend this five millimeters, which takes it from being a head injury, like a traumatic brain injury to being a scrape. I mean, that's kind of an exaggeration, but it gives you an idea of how important it can be. And we have that now in riding. So it extends it to 10 to 15 millimeters, uh, 15 millimeters. So your MIPS liner will allow your headband to move. So this is my sample. So it moves a little bit more than, right. you know, it, so you're going to have your helmet work with your scalp. And we have that in helmets already in a very small way, but this is 10 to 15 millimeters of, of coverage or of, of additional movement. So in, in other words, because it moves, you get a dissipation <clears throat> of force and the, and our skin moves a certain amount, but this increases the amount to dissipate more force. Yes. So when you put on a helmet and I'm this, I always bring my air eight um, when I do this, I'm going to show you, cause everybody knows what we, what we look for in a helmet fit. So this is my personal helmet. So I have my helmet on. So what do we do when we test for fit? We go up and down and you can see my eyebrows moving up and down, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'll go a little. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do it on yourself. So we're used to testing that and we see our eyebrows going up and down. And if that's the case, we feel like it fits, right? Or the, the person who's helping you in the shop feels like it fits. So what the MIPS does is it takes that and extends it. So yeah. your, your headband and your helmet has always been part of the safety. It grips your, your scalp and holds the helmet in place so that it can work with your, your, the movement of your scalp. MIPS extends that to 10 wow, to 15 millimeters. that's so cool. You know, I, I know that there's, uh, you know, there's a lot more technology that's going into this. And uh, it's sad that people have to have injuries <clears throat> that, we discount for a while till we finally figure it out in order to move technology, but that's what happens. You know, but it I, doesn't that happen in regular life? How, how many times oh yeah. have we said, how many accidents does it take to put up a stoplight? Yeah, exactly. No, I'm not saying it's just the way we <laughs> operate. Right. right. Um, right. And you know, there's, there was so much traumatic brain injury with yeah. people in the, in the uh, Afghanistan and Iraq wars. In fact, I was sitting next to a guy on a plane recently and he showed me pictures of how his Humvee had been blown up um, oh. and he was lucky to be alive. But, you know, so I think that because of all that kind of, we've started to really look at it. And it's really, yes. you know, the past 20 years, I think the evolution of, of looking at this has been gaining speed because not only are we recognizing the initial injury, but we're recognizing the long-term compounding of head yes. injuries and how that uh, affects somebody. So can you talk a little bit about sort of, you know, the, the repeat head injuries and mm -hmm. why that's <clears throat> not a good thing? So we've talked about in the past in terms of the catastrophic, you know, boys have a kind of a second impact syndrome. So that's your high school student that has had a head injury on the field two days ago and he gets back on the field and he has a secondary impact. And unfortunately it's, it's fatal. It's the worst situation. We've heard that in the past, you know, 10, 20 years where we've had a promising student who that happens to, which is why they've instituted these two week sitting out or um, they send kids to that are involved in high school sports, and it doesn't matter the high school sport, to um, concussion centers, to teach, to have them have some PT, to have therapy to get back to normal, which is why impact testing, which is that test that they give you before you start um, a sport, and a lot of eventers have taken it through USEA. So that's what they're judging it on. Um, basically, we 
we look at how those, um, now, of course, I've lost my train of thought as I took a breath. It's uh, <laughs> multiple impacts and the time in right. which they have to sit out. So, and, and it's, it's very, very, there's so much I can say. We're probably going to run over time. Okay. But the multiple impact, we see somebody who has maybe exercised racehorses all through their teenage and 20 some odd years. Um, and they have a little bit of a different sort of interesting per personality. And these sub concussive impacts, which they're just now seeing as part of a, a jockey situation, a racing industry issue, that they are cumulative and they start to affect how our mental health, our potential for getting dementia at an earlier age, they ha it has so many um, implications that we want to, to fix it before it happens. You know, we t you're talking about um, the military, you know, the PTSD that some of our soldiers have are directly related to these injuries that they've occurred. Maybe they didn't Im immediately have something that was bleeding, but the vibrations, the impact of these bombs that go off, they're having impact on their brains. Right. So I can't speak to, to, more about that because that's not my area of expertise. But when you look at riders, we're looking at as a group, first of all, the, the British racing industry during COVID, because these guys have lots of head injuries and it's usually minimal, but cumulative impacts. They had, I believe three in succession could have been four jockeys that committed suicide at the beginning of COVID because they were isolated and their world had revolved around racing. So they were always in front of somebody. So they, they always had positive influences, but then you take this person who has had multiple concussions and you put them in a, their apartment and you lock them in because of COVID their mental health doesn't, doesn't do well. So when I say that, um, mental health is, is directly related to our head injuries. It's directly related to concussion. There's, there is a study out there that is saying that we're gonna have more and more people as we grow older in um, nursing homes needing assisted living care, dementia care, because we're more focused on our sport and our head injuries are growing because we're, we're, a, we're very much a sports oriented nation. Well, and you know, the, what you see is little kids that are now, instead of having fun and cross, you know, doing different things, they're being channeled into specific sports early. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, we could go on a long debate. And they're excelling earlier. Early, yes, they're, they're higher impacts, they're harder fit, you know, the fitness levels and everything. Right. But the, the cumulative is the thing that, um, I think that people may not necessarily understand is that when you, if you, like you said, if you've had a head injury and then another one very shortly after, that is way, way worse than a right. head injury and two years later, a head injury. Right. Right. Because the brain hasn't recovered from the first one and bam, you've hit it again. Exactly. Um, and so, exactly. you know, you think about and people who are starting young horses and, oh, I got bucked off and, oh, I got bucked right. off and, oh, I got bucked off. And it's like, what did you hit? <laughs> right, right. And oh. it's, you know, for women and because, you know, the, the equestrian sport in the U.S. is so strongly female. Right. The other part of it, which is it, it always pains me to say that women have the reason women or I'm surmising as a layman in um, brain studies that because it's only boys who have that second impact syndrome, it's not girls, it's the boys. Mm. And I know from studies that we've done, studies that I've read that Roy Burek did, we have found that female hormones are neuroprotective. Just oh, like hydration is protect, neuroprotective. If you're hydrated, you have a, a better, a greater likelihood to not have a worse concussion. 
So when we're dehydrated, we have, so I guess I should say it backwards. When we're dehydrated, we have an increased potential for head injury. Wow. Yeah, because they're so plays into jockeys in a fluid sack, basically, right? Yes. And that yes. fluid is, uh, you know, hydrostatic, so it's going to help um, protect us from things bouncing around. And I think that that's exactly people don't realize is, you know, if you hit and you hit again, that's two. Mm-hmm. That's not one. That's two. Right. Right. Um, and just like hydration is key to um, recovering from concussion. Right. Um, so with our our female hormones being neuroprotective. Once women go through menopause, they don't stop riding, but they still fall. So you see when, when these studies come out of sport in especially equestrian sport, that there is a greater incidence for concussions in females above the age of 50. They don't take into effect or into account menopause and you no longer have the female hormones coursing through your body that is neuroprotective. So you see worse head injury in women who are older and are still competing. And, you know, I think that that is, that is a key factor for us. And I'm not just saying that because of my age group, but I've seen it with my friends, you know, who, have gone through menopause and they had a, the same fall that they had five years ago and it's horrible for them and to recover and it, and the effects are worse because they don't have the female hormones. Well, this is really fascinating because what I find, you know, as a riding instructor, what I find very commonly is that older women have more fear issues. Mm-hmm. But if they've lost their neuroprotective hormones that take care of them, of course, they're going to have more fear issues. And who knows if it's, there's a mental component to it. Well, and that's just, I mean, this is just fascinating because I, yeah. you know, uh, it, again, it's it always, all these webinars always lead to more questions. Right, right. <laughs> and isn't that the beauty of it, isn't it? Yeah, but that's, just, that's really, really fascinating. And I'm assuming you're saying, is it the chicken or the egg? Are they afraid? Because there's something that's changed in their their um, physiological yeah. makeup that makes them go, oh, if I fall, maybe I should drop down. Because you see so many women who they decide to do different horse sports. They right. maybe go from doing the hunters to doing dressage. Right. Or they go from eventing to working equitation. You know, so to still enjoy the horses, but that's why helmets and um you know, using safety to your benefit so you can keep doing what you love because well, that's nervous, what I'm about. You know, that's the thing about the nervous system. It's really smart and it knows when we are safe and it knows when we aren't, no matter what our frontal lobe tries to tell us, oh, I'm, right. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, you're not fine. Right. I mean, there is a, I mean, I work with this all the time. The right. body knows. Yeah. Yeah. You can't fool the nervous system into believing yeah. safe when you're not safe. You can do stupid things because you're not safe that your, your nervous system said don't do. And you do it anyway, cause you didn't listen. That's yes. a story, but you know, there, there is that wisdom and intelligence in our body that is trying to uh, keep us safe. Even when our intellect wants to override that, or, you know, that much more primitive intelligence, which exactly, I, you know, anytime anybody's had a really bad injury, like me, you learn to listen to that a whole lot better because right. you didn't listen to it. And that's why you got hurt. Um, and it is fascinating. And I'm going to tell you, you know, we talked about, you said something about Surefoot before, but you know, um, when I had my horse with EPM and you and your, your colleague helped me get him to where he can trail ride, walk, trot, canter again, um, using Surefoot and using other sorts of um, building blocks to get him back. You know, Roy and I used to talk about how fascinating it was because obviously his brain studies had nothing to do with horses and their nervous system, but some of the information was, was vital for him to learn because it helped him start to ask the questions with humans and 
developing better and more innovative safety for us. So that whole proprioception, you know, the, the MIPS liners, I, it's all interconnected for me, for me, having seen a horse with that and then having him recover with the help of things like Surefoot. And now I'm even more fascinated with the brain of humans and riding helmets because of it. Oh, cool. That's yeah. Really and, and, and that is that whole, um, you know, this, the surefoot pads give horses a sense of safety and grounding. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, what I tell my older riders is, I, and, and this is something else, maybe we can have another webinar and talk about safety vests and air vests. That's a, I was just thinking safety vests ground people and give them a level of comfort that they had never felt before. Right, because it, the nervous system now feels the protection that mm-hmm. that vest supplies. And it's the same thing with a helmet. You know, I, I do wanna mention that I've seen so often when people are ridiculed for wearing a helmet because they see that as that they don't have enough riding skill to not need it. But I think that this is such a disservice to, yes. to um, you know, for me, that's like saying, you know, drive your car and jump out of it when you're going 60 miles an hour and you'll be fine anyway. I mean, it's like, um, I've never understood that mentality, but maybe that's because I was injured so young. Like when I was, um, I think I was 15, I wasn't driving yet. I came off my horse and uh, over a jump and landed on my face and broke three teeth and obviously had a concussion because I was knocked out. I did have a helmet on, but you know, in the old days, this is, uh, it was a hunt cap. Um, you know, and the kid had to get me back on my horse, ride us to a telephone, call my mother, have her drive a half an hour to pick me up, take me to the hospital. Right. So, um, you know, that was, so I had injuries really early on and have always, um, and have had more than one, of course. Right. 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 Uh, and so that's been really important for me, but I just think it's so important not to listen to someone when your safety is concerned. Like if, it's my, my sense of safety that I need to check with myself and say, I wear a helmet because I want to take care of me. I am important right. to take care of me. And the price of the helmet is irrelevant to the cost of the injury. Right. Right. Like right. You, cannot, you cannot put a price on saving your life. Yes. Um, and that's the thing that I think is so important for people. And yeah, the bling is really nice. And if it has stars and bells and whistles, that's great. But the, it, you know, we really have to get practical about things like helmets is, is this going to protect my head to the best of its ability so that I can survive the catastrophic? And you know, we never plan for the catastrophic. It's not like we no. go out and go, I'm gonna have a catastrophic injury today. That's not how we right. do this. It's Here, the- let me dress up so that I can protect myself. Cause I know today, Right. I'm going to fall. Right. It's, it's the, it's so often, you know, it's the close to home. It's just like car accidents. It's the yes. close to home. It's the, when you, you know, switched off because you were hypoglycemic. Um, it's the, you know, the, the car that came past you. It's, the, it's never something that we plan for, but in right. terms of getting hurt, but we must plan for being safe. And I think that that's the, the most important thing here is I, I've always said, and I've said it for probably about eight years now with customers, if you are wearing something that you feel good in, it fits you, it gives you a level of confidence of, that's based on safety. So we can enjoy our sport. We love horses. I mean, the reason that all of your panelists are here and connected to you is because we love horses and we, we gravitate towards learning more about horses and learning more about what we can do to enjoy our horses. So if putting on a helmet or going and finding the right fit of your helmet allows you to enjoy your horse longer or for more days in a row, that's how I see it. You know, I don't put on a helmet because I'm afraid so much as I want to enjoy my horse And I also need to work tomorrow to enjoy my family. So, you know, I've, I've started to think of it in that sense, you know, most of us have another job 
not so many of us are lucky enough to have jobs within horses. So if you are an accountant and you decide you want to ride on your lunch hour, you have a big meeting at four o'clock, putting on that helmet and you get paid enough to be able to pay your mortgage and send your kid to school, being able to put on that helmet and have a fall that you can walk away from and you can get to your meeting and be coherent and be contributing so that you can keep getting your paycheck that pays for your family. It, I, I don't want to be silly, but it's a no brainer to me. It is a no brainer. You know, so. and that's the, like, I, I wear ball caps a lot. So putting on another, a different hat is, um, is not, you know, it's just a different hat, right? I, right. I I wear hats for sun protection because then my dermatologist doesn't have to burn crap off my ears. You know? Right. <laughs> there's exactly. so many reasons that we wear hats. And you know what? I just, I, there's an industry that I wanted to bring up because I think that there is such a model and that's NASCAR. Right. NASCAR now, I mean, Brad loves NASCAR. So I've learned to watch NASCAR. It typically puts me to sleep, but that's fine. I get a nap. Um, <laughs> but that these guys, they have designed the cars so that these guys can walk away from some of the most horrific accidents where the car flips over and rams into the wall and everything. And they <laughs> flip their AC and they climb out of that window and they can stand there and the crowd cheers at them because of all the safety built in so that they can go 200 miles an hour. Right. And, and so have a rush and, en yeah. and enjoy it. Right. And so, you know, that's another industry that I think is at the forefront of look at how that industry is actually affecting the safety of our vehicles so that yes. we can go down the road. So, you know, this model for safety is something that I've, uh, you know, because of my injuries and my accidents have been aware of for a very long time. And it's the thing as you that you brought up, like with Surefoot, it's about safety. It's about the horse being safe, about the person being safe doing Surefoot, that when we take the the emphasis on safety, we make better decisions. Yes. We can make decisions that are going to still have speed and they're still going to have excitement and fun, but we're making good decisions so that we're putting the odds in our favor to be able to come back and do it again the next day. Exactly. So yeah. true. So yeah. true. Yeah. Because that's I, what we all want to do. We want, want, all want to get to the weekend so that we can enjoy our horse for the whole day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And somebody says, I agree. It's common sense to protect and wear a helmet. Absolutely. Yes. So, um, so Danielle, we've come to the end of our hour. It flies by, doesn't it? It does. It does. Once you start talking, it, it certainly is. It's so much fun. And I love, I love being able to talk to you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have to have you come back and talk about vests because vests have gone through okay. a massive change. And I'm at the point now when I have a anxious adult rider, I'm like, get a vest. But yes. I know that there's a lot of variations. So let's plan on having you come. And out. there's more innovation yeah. to come in vests because yeah. of, you know, the fact that the USHJA and USEF are looking at it as an option because you're seeing more air vests at the hunters and the jumper shows. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yes. About 50%. I think that there was a, sur they did a survey, USHJA did a survey and about 50% of riders are wearing some version of body protection, whether that's a typical body protector that eventers wear or an air vest alone. And so at this particular moment, it's a turning point. It's kind of like where we were in the mid 2000s with helmets. Yeah. So we're gonna be able to see more and better and more comfortable safety vests in the future. Yeah. I, mean, I think I was just um, doing a clinic where the air vest arrived after the woman left for the horse show and she got injured. Oh, oh no. Oh, yeah. No. So, you know, it's like, um, I, I just, it's important. We need to plan for it. We need to start taking our sport more seriously in terms of our health. And I think absolutely enjoy it for longer and, and feel better about it. Absolutely. And interestingly enough to, I'll, I'll leave you on this note. I was talking to a, a colleague where we kind of looked at different riders and there, there are two or three different types of riders. There are riders who want safety products because they want to continue and enjoy and, and do more, you know, whether they're going to jump higher or they're going to go faster 
or they're going to get a young horse, they want to keep doing it and they want to push the envelope and enjoy themselves. And then there's the rider who's a little bit afraid and needs a boost of confidence to know that they're not going to get hurt. And between those two people, you know, the, there's, there's lots of options. Yes. There's lots of options in fit in look in style and price point. And we just have to keep pushing the envelope in, in innovation to make sure that people will always have that much choice and more so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great. To see. It's been too long. Um, so this is really fun. I'm glad you decided to come on the show. Thanks. Thanks Wendy. Yep. Thank you everybody for listening. And just remember, you can find this and all of the 226 webinars on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. We also have Wendy's Winnies on iTunes, where we take the audio from the webinars and post them. We have not caught up to 226, but Alex puts up about three a week. So eventually we will, but that way you can listen to the webinars safely while you're driving your car as a podcast, rather than playing YouTube on your phone as you're driving. All right. So thank you all for tuning in and have a great day. Take care. Thank you. Bye.